Welcome back to the Pucks of a Feather podcast. I'm here with Jason this week. It's it's Eddie and Jason this week. No, Pat. Uh, we don't like it. We kicked him out. Yeah, Pat's taking a week off. He's he's taking pretty much the entire week off because we've been uh, we've been covering this the, the trade deadline, Silverberg extension, Brandon Montour, Brandon Gruley. We've been pretty much covering it all all week, pretty much. Yeah, and even when he's here, he's really not. I mean, he doesn't do much. I feel like he's <laughs> never really been here. He's just kind of that that guy in the the background. It kind of makes noise every now and again. Yeah, so he's, he's like Randy Carlisle behind the bench this year. <laughs> yeah, right. Everyone kind of hears it, but no one really listens. Yeah. Well, if you if you're just getting caught up, and you, I mean, I don't know where you've been, but if you're if you're relying on our show for all the updates over the last week, there's a which lot you get, should right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, there's a lot to get caught up on if if you've missed it all. The we're gonna start with the earliest news about almost a, the full week ago now was the announcement that Jakob Silverberg had signed a five year extension at five point two five million. Uh, average annual value so that deal is going to take him until he's 33 and it also has a modified 10 team no trade clause similar to what cam fowler has but cam fowler has a four team no trade clause so what do you think i mean this uh we kind of felt like this was coming there were rumblings last week that um you know pierre lebron and, and others were saying that a deal was getting close and they're working towards something and now we, we finally get this uh this announcement it's not official but it, it's it's yeah. as such it's basically it's been reported by reputable people yeah, absolutely. Multiple reputable people. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's mainly just a, a tagging issue. For those of you who don't know, next uh, uh, season, you, you basically you can't have more salary cap uh, this season than you're going to have next season. So they have to actually wait until I think it's like March 1st or until cap space kind of moves out. I think it's actually after the trade deadline. So they should pretty soon be able to announce that Silverberg has been signed and that's uh five years uh, like you said 5.25 is what's being reported um I like it uh I know Ed and Pat not huge fans mostly because uh you guys thought that there was a way to trade him and get you know really high draft picks and really kind of go all in on the tank and really kind of get as many first round draft picks this uh year and try and do a quicker rebound if you could but I'm a fan of it, mostly because I think uh, uh, Silverberg is someone I've, and I think most fans have been waiting on to actually start producing uh, the 25 goals a season that we got, you know, that we traded Bobby Ryan for. I um, mean, he was the centerpiece of that trade, and he's never quite hit that potential. He's, he's come close, but never quite there. It just seems a little bit off. Um, this season in particular, even though he was leading the team for pretty much all of the season with uh, goals scoring it's at the low end even now he leads the team but it's it's 16 goals but i feel this season's kind of an anomaly i think most most players are having just a horrible season statistically and i can see already just with bob murray's new style or whoever's new style of uh play for the ducks is going to have a positive impact on forwards defense and and the offense in general production uh, so I, I'm more optimistic that this guy, uh, having just such a horrible season this year, already has 16 goals. Where would he be if this style was going on? I'd say he'd be between 25 and 30 goals, and that's not someone you really kind of let slide away for a first-round draft pick on what could or could not turn into something that helps you down the road. I think uh, at 28, signing for five years is not horrible, uh, and he's good defensively as well, so you got to kind of factor that into the pricing uh, that he's got but I, I think this is a good signing moving forward you got some stability with him 
Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like Jakob Silverberg, and and I think he's a valuable player uh, when you're going to be competitive. You need guys like this on your team. I mean, you look at what Mark Stone went for, and not to say Silverberg's on the same level as Mark Stone, but when you look at uh, some of the best defensive forwards in the league and those guys that can provide offense, they're very similar in that aspect where they're, they're some of the better two-way players in this league. And Silverberg seems to be close to a 20-goal average guy a season, 20 in 2015-16, and 16-17, had 17 last year, and he's had 16 this year. So he, he probably should hit 20 this year. The, the assists are way down. Uh, again, some players just have those types of seasons. I think it's somewhat because the Ducks just can't score in general, and he's been put on, on some pretty bad lines this year. He spent about half the season with Kessler, who didn't score for 38 games, and Andrew Cogliano, who also really couldn't score any goals. So that's a, a tough role for him to be put in. And, and I think you know Bob Murray loves to bring back guys who you consider playoff performers. And Jakob Silverberg has been that in his time with the Ducks. Uh, he's almost a point per game in the playoffs over the last three. If you don't want, I'm not going to include yeah. last year, even though he did have two points in the four games the Ducks played. But in the two long runs they had, he had 18 points in 16 games and 14 points in 17 games. So he always seems to be able to uh, take it up to the next level offensively in the playoffs, which is something the Ducks need. So I get it. It makes sense. It on paper on why you'd want this guy to stick around i just think that the direction <laughs> but... the ducks are going in and uh-huh. because you know now he has the second long or tied actually sorry for the longest forward contract on this team with adam henrique both of which are around the same age adam henrique's now 29 silverberg's 28 it's you're gonna have henrique till he's 34 and silver till he's 33 at these long deals when it all depends when you believe the ducks are going to be competitive again Right. If you think they're going to yep. be good in, in two or three seasons, then you'll have both these guys in, in 30 and 31, and you're, you'll be able to make a long push with them, and they'll be valuable pieces. If you don't think the Ducks are going to be good for three or four seasons, then you're going into the, the final years of these guys' deals at 33 and 34, and it doesn't look too great, and I don't think they'll be providing the same impact as they are now. So it, it's an interesting decision because of, of – Bob Murray saying he wants to retool. He wants to get younger. They're looking to, to move forward in a, in a different direction. And then you, you sign an older guy like Jakob Silverberg to a contract that's going to take him to 33. I mean, Bob Murray loves to sign his, his long-term deals for older players, so I'm not too surprised. But it, it just is weird timing. Yeah, he likes to sign, uh, especially the, the players that have been traded for. Uh, he doesn't want to make it seem like the trade he had was worth nothing. Uh, but, and at the same time, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the main difference. Like between me and you, you think they're three years from being a playoff team or at least competitive in the playoffs. And I think this year was just a blip. I've seen what the ducks can do, um, when moderately healthy right now, they are not healthy and not doing as red hot, but I think the, the style was so detrimental to anyone playing well, no one was going to survive the way that the ducks were playing. Uh, now they're playing a, a much more upbeat, up-tempo, aggressive style, which suits them much better and also suits offense uh, a lot better. So I think they're, they're going to be a competitive team next year. Now, I'm not talking about a cup contender like they've always kind of been considered, but someone that can definitely be in there. And if you can get in the playoffs and you have a solid enough team, I think you can do some damage and you can surprise teams and actually go pretty far in the playoffs, if not all the way. They have the pieces there, in my opinion, and they got younger kids kind of coming up. I just can't see not signing them, trading them for a draft pick, and now you're talking about 
just the really old guys and Henrique. And other than that, you're talking about you know twenty something, you know, low twenty something forwards that are trying to maybe look up to those guys. It's just you have to have some of those people in the locker room. Hate to say, you know, he's a locker room guy and that sort of deal, but. You know, young kids coming in, you probably need to see what it takes to be uh, a regular NHL or game in, game out. And that's why you have some of those veteran players that maybe aren't putting up all the numbers, but they still serve a purpose. And he's not bad defensively, and it'd be really nice to have some good defensive forwards on this team moving forward. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And if you had to pick one guy from this roster at some of the aging players that you would want to keep around for the long term, I, I think Jakob Silverberg would be that guy because he's so valuable on both ends of the puck. But you know, one one thing you just said, and, and the Ducks changing up their system and and more of an up-tempo offensive system. And we got three games that went on this week. The Ducks scored two goals in those games. And yes, they, <laughs> they played the Flames close, and, and the Oilers game was close as well. Vancouver game was just a mess. Blowout. The Ducks still can't score. And and that yeah. has spanned over from the Carlisle era to the, to the Bob Murray era. And, and honestly, the only thing that's really changed is defensively they've looked a little bit better. They haven't uh, made as many mistakes. The, the guys just seem like they're they're paying a little bit more attention. There was a lot of puck watching going on in the latter uh, end of, of Randy Carlisle's reign with the Ducks. And, you know, the offense just hasn't changed. And, and that is something I'm not really surprised in because the Ducks in general just don't have a lot of guys who can put the puck in the back of the net. They don't play a fast system that allows for, for fluid offense and, and fluid puck movement. And I don't see how that changes next year. You would have to bring in a coach and, and establish a system that would really work. And I don't know if they have the, the players in this roster to do that necessarily. So we'll have to see. But I just don't see where the goals are going to come from next year. Silverberg is, is producing at a regular pace, probably even a, a pace a little better than his career average. If he, he There's a chance he could finish with a career high in goals because I believe his career high is 23. So there's yeah. a chance that he could finish above that. So he's not doing bad. Uh, Nick Ritchie's playing better than what he normally does. Ricard Raquel is a guy <laughs> who's definitely uh, slumping this year and not on a 30-goal yeah. pace. So maybe if you add 15 goals to his total, you get an extra 15 goals. But that doesn't really help the Ducks too much. Uh, Adam Henrique's on a regular pace. Ryan Getzlaff is on a, a, a regular pace for what he normally does for goal scoring. I think he's at uh, 11 right now. Corey mm-hmm. Perry, over a span of a full season, is probably on pace for about 15 to 20, which is normal for him. So there's not many guys who aren't scoring at their regular pace other than Ricard Raquel. So you add Ricard Raquel, you add a full season of Andre Kasha. I don't think that's enough to say that the Ducks are going to all of a sudden jump into the top half of the league in goals for so if you don't do that, you need to have a top ten defense. And if I just I don't know. I mean they have the chance. Obviously you have John Gibson, and if you can get a good system in there, then maybe. But the Ducks will not make the playoffs if they're in the bottom half for goals for and for goals against. So if if I don't see any improvement in in, in the offense, they have to have a top ten defense next year to get anywhere close to the playoffs. And that's why everyone loves me more. I'm so much more optimistic than you. Um, I, I think the kids coming in that the next season, you'll probably get a, a better look at uh, Comtois probably breaking into the lineup. Troy Terry, Max Jones, they are so snake bitten and so close to getting goals. It's just a little bit off. And I think uh, under the new system and the chances that the offense is getting, that's what they weren't getting under Carlisle at no point. Even when we were having a winning streak or we, you know, and that was a really long time ago. So kudos for you if you remember it. Uh, they never looked good. They never looked like they were about to, you know, break out and they finally kind of got out of their fun. They've looked horrible from day one, went in and lost out. 
it didn't matter. They looked horrible. I don't necessarily see that anymore. Yeah, they haven't put the puck in the net. Kind of sucks. Also hurts when Getzloff's out of the lineup. And you're trying to move Raquel two of those games at center. Uh, you're trying to spark something with him. Kids in and out of the lineup. Defense in and out of the lineup now with trades and things like that. Um, so it, it sucks. Calgary, the Calgary game, we held our own against the, sec, uh, the best team in the West, second best offense in the West. And if it wasn't for a couple of just odd plays, a deflection, a two on one that ended up going in, we're talking about a game that we can possibly get a point out of Edmonton. Uh, you know, it, you, we almost get that goal back, even though we looked exhausted on it, you know, back to back games. Uh, but we, we, were, we had a goal that got taken away and I don't agree with it. Right there, that's possibly a point. If not, what happens after that? There's no Connor McJesus in the yeah, I was gonna uh, say, that's like in the overtime. Edmonton Oilers, where, where he's yeah, not in the lineup. I mean, you made a joke on Twitter that <laughs> they suspended the entire Oilers team. I mean, that's not far <laughs> from the truth. Other than yeah. Leon Drysaddle, you know, yeah. Connor McDavid is the lifeblood of that team. So yes, it was a close game against the Oilers, but it was an Oilers team without Connor McDavid. But it was also a team without, you know, it was also a Ducks team without Getzloff. It was uh, uh, also the. Um, it was uh, it was a tired team. I mean, you could see yes. it from the beginning. The third period of the Calgary game, you can kind of see just a little bit of tired. A lot of things they had been doing well all the way up until that third period in Calgary just carried over into the Edmonton game. So I wasn't I wasn't going to harp too hard on them. The fact they were able to kind of stick with it, get in there, and really tie the game, but not tie the game uh, was you know at least hey they you know they're there. They're a little tired. They're definitely depleted thanks to injuries. And then the Vancouver game was kind of another dud. But once again, you're bringing in a brand new defenseman. You're getting rid of two defensemen um, from the regular lineup. You still don't have your your number one center. And they were at least still getting chances. They didn't look bad in the first period. They, they put out a ton of shots. Uh, you know, if you think back to when the Ducks had a game where I think they they had a 14-shot total or a 13-shot total in an entire game. They had that in the first period against Vancouver. It didn't quite work out. They weren't quite uh, finishing their plays. I think give them a little bit of time offseason. Those younger players coming in, some of those older players just getting rid of what last season was, fresh start. I think you see more goals, and I think uh, the the defensive style to a collapsing type defense in front of the goalies, let the outside shots happen. When that happens, if you've got Gibby and Ryan Miller in there, you know, for the season, they're healthy. I think that's easy. The problem Gibby ended up having is so many people were left open in front. And he just there's nothing any goalie's going to do in those situations. So I feel their their strategy has changed, and it will result in a better offense, a better defense next year. And with the kids coming in and the eagerness to try and score goals and prove themselves, they've got a great opportunity to do that. So I'm more optimistic next year than having to wait three years for us to to talk about a good Ducks team. For sure. I mean, I mean that, that remains to be seen. There's a lot of different directions the Ducks can go, but they, they kind Absolutely. of started moving in a certain direction before the trade deadline, a, a day before, to be exact, where they moved Brandon Montour to the Buffalo Sabres to bring in Brendan Gooley, who's a 21-year-old defensive prospect, and a first-round pick that will either be San Jose's or the Ducks have the option to sec- select St. Louis's first-round pick if it's between number 20 and number 31. So then the Ducks have the option to basically pick the highest pick they want which is the highest they can get is, is essentially number 20. So not a bad deal. Um, I, I think when you look at it on paper, a lot of people are upset because it's Brandon Montour and he's one of the, the most popular players on the team. So pretty. 
yeah, there's that. <laughs> there's that as well. So, and a lot of the the girls that uh, that follow <laughs> Anaheim Ducks, Ducks faithful on Twitter <laughs> are uh, a little bit upset, and uh, I, I don't blame you because, like Jake said, he, he is a, a beautiful man, but he also is a fun player to watch on the ice, and uh-huh. it is uh, you know disappointing to to see him go. And but you knew somebody was going to go, whether it be now the draft or later, because. Come the expansion draft, the Ducks were going to risk losing one of these guys to the Seattle, the new Seattle team anyway, because they can only protect three defensemen. So eventually, one of these guys was going to be on their way out. It just so happened to be sooner rather than later. But you look at who they bring in, and Brendan Gooley, and they get another first round pick this year. It's a pretty good deal. I mean, the deal rides on whatever Brendan Gooley turns into. But on paper, and for what the one game we've seen from Brendan Gooley so far, it looks like a pretty good deal for the Ducks. Yeah, the Ducks knew what they had in Montour, not to take anything away from him. Um, he just wasn't, in my opinion, the Ducks didn't really utilize him. I thought he could have been much more effective on a power play uh, and either being at the half boards or even even at the point a little bit more. And uh, I don't think he got a really great chance under the new system, but he also comes with a risk. And even though he's a, a fast, quick skater with a good offensive upside, he does leave something to be desired a little bit on the defensive side, and sometimes the risks he takes tend to come back and bite the team in the ass. And so uh, I think at that point, they kind of made the decision that we're not going to get rid of Fowler, not going to get rid of Lindholm, and the way Lindholm and Manson play together, let's keep that thing going. And better to do it now than let this thing kind of prolong itself, in my opinion, because the longer you go and the more down on the wire you go, the more the teams realize, hey, they're probably desperate to move them. And you maybe don't get necessarily the same return the closer you get to that expansion draft. So you get a first-round pick. Montour was a second-round pick, I believe. And then you also get Gould as well. So, I mean, you've got Brandon Gould, who is younger, by all accounts, is somewhat similar to what Montour brings, just not necessarily the same offensive upside. But he's still young and still hasn't really been given a chance in the Buffalo organization to actually show showcase what he can do so if he turns out to be good or somewhat similar to montour and you add a first round pick i think that could easily be a win so time will tell on that one because we're talking about 21 year old prospect and we don't know what yet come draft time or if that draft pick ends up being flipped for something else that works in the ducks favor so um i think you got a lot in return for montour i think it was an even trade uh buffalo's trying to get into the playoffs and they got a good piece to do it, considering that Gould wasn't going to crack their lineup. And they had at least a, a first round. They had three first round picks to get rid of. So they, they aren't really hurting on that trade either. It's a good trade on both sides, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think the problem with uh, Brandon Montour was the fact that, you know, a lot of people labeled him as an offensive defenseman. And, and if you're going to be labeled as an offensive defenseman, you have to be in the upper echelon of the league when it comes to that. You know, you, some guys come to mind uh, in Erasmus Ristolainen or a Dougie Hamilton or this year an Eric Gustafson or a Tyson Berry, those types of guys where the, the offense is the forefront of their game. And, and yeah, they, they have some flaws on defense, but it's not as glaring as to say someone as Brandon Montour. But I don't think Brandon Montour was in that category for offensive defensemen. And if that's what you're relying on him for, then maybe he was probably the best guy to move on, on this roster. I mean, moving Cam Fowler in that contract would be difficult and you might not get what you want. Moving Hampus Lindholm just isn't an option. You're not going to do that. And Josh Manson, if you want to keep that type of player around, 
then Brandon Montour becomes the expendable one. He also probably had the easiest contract to move at just over $3 million for the next two years. It allows a team that brings him in to not have to rely on him being a rental. They get this year and next year to look at him, and he's still an RFA when they go to sign him again. So, I mean, it makes sense. And again, it is depending on what Brandon Gooley can turn into be, but he is a very fast skater. He is a puck rusher, just like Brandon Montour was, but he's a more responsible puck rusher. And yeah, Gooley might not be a guy who puts up 30, 40 points in this league, but if he can do 20, 30 and just be a responsible defenseman and reliable in his own zone with that skating ability, that's exactly what the Ducks need. They can go out in the draft, hope that they find that offensive defenseman, that right-handed offensive defenseman that they're missing and build it out that way. Or you can go in free agency whenever you're competitive again and find that guy. There's always those types of guys available. And, you know, maybe not right-handed, but you can find that offensive defenseman. So the Ducks, I think, made the right move here. And I'm really interested to see what Brandon Gooley can do for the rest of the year because he'll probably spend most of the year with the Ducks when you look at the depth that they they now have on that blue line. (laughs) Jakob Larson just got called up today, so he'll probably slot in for a guy like Holzer or Jacob Magda. But uh, you've got Lindholm, Fowler, Manson, Gooley, Larson, and you know, maybe either Walensky, Magna, or Holzer. So he definitely has a spot on this roster, but he also is waiver exempt. So if the Ducks do want to give him some time in San Diego, he's able to go down freely without them have to worry about losing him or passing him through waivers. So they have all the flexibility in the world right now to, to work with what's going to work best for a player like Brandon Gooley. And they get that little bonus of having an extra first round pick this year to maybe go out and get that defenseman. Yeah, exactly. And with with Montour, I mean, he had started to be, uh, you know, slotted down into the third defensive pairing. Delzato, at least at that point, seemed to have some uh, chemistry a little bit, even though on his off uh, side with Cam Fowler. And then you had the Lindholm and Manson. So other than that, Montour did not work with Fowler. They just they, they weren't compatible. A lot of defensemen aren't compatible with Cam Fowler. It's just the oddity of Cam Fowler. But um, I mean, you're not going to try and hold that kid back, um, put him on the third line and and try and, you know, hope for him to, to do anything and not have, you know, you know, have the sixth defenseman in the uh, depth chart, you know, hopefully be the guy who's going to defend every time Montour gets caught. So, yeah, they are a little thin on defense. Now that Montour is gone, Delzato was also traded. Uh, so, I mean, you, you're going to get a lot of look at young defensemen. You're going to get probably a lot of mistakes. A lot of things that kind of happened a little bit earlier this season, too, where you're just going to get some of those games where things just don't quite go right. Uh, That makes sense, too, when you're talking about uh, a rookie goaltender. Uh, I mean, so just all over the board. This is more or less uh, at this point with Montour moving. That's the big piece. Um, And now they're just in evaluation mode. So these guys will get a look and uh, game in, game out. They just try and uh, impress their Jesus, uh, as executive, vice president, interim head coach, it's just general supreme, it's manager, supreme overlord. Bob, uh, yeah, supreme overlord. It's just easier to say. Yeah, it, so, <laughs> supreme overlord Bob Murray. <laughs> it's it's a lot easier that way. That wasn't the only move <laughs> that he would make. The, the other two aren't as big, but we have to talk about them. So, Brian mm-hmm. Gibbons ends up going to the Ottawa Senators for Patrick Seeloff. And Michael Delzato was the only deadline day transaction for the Ducks. He got traded to the St. Louis Blues for a sixth-round pick in 2019. So not some big moves. Some that I guess make sense because I believe Brian Gibbons was going to be an unrestricted free agent anyway, and so was Delzato. So it's just moving off some guys that you weren't going to keep around to get some assets in return. 
Seeloff ends up being a depth defenseman for San Diego. If you're going to have to keep a guy like Gooley up and also bring up Larson and Magna, then San Diego needs some help. And then bringing in that sixth round pick is just getting an asset for a guy that you were going to lose anyway. So, it, you know, the Ducks have a good scouting staff. Not that I have any confidence that they're going to find a gem <laughs> in the sixth round, but at least gives you another shot to do so and, and add to your prospect pool. So, again, not two big moves, but I'm fine with both of them. Yep. Ditto. <laughs> yeah, Ditto on Dell's audit. Yeah. People, <laughs> there's, there's, people that, there's not much to talk about. I mean, if you want to, if you want to think about everything that Bob Murray did in regards with Del Zotto, originally it was uh, Luke Shen who he signed in the off season, uh, barely cracked the lineup, maybe a handful of games. Uh, trade him. Um, they uh, they traded a they traded him to Vancouver for Del Zotto, and then Del Zotto six. So you essentially just traded Luke Shen for a sixth round pick. I mean, you know, Luke Shen is not going to. Luke Shen in a seventh for a sixth round pick. All right, Del Zotto. Yeah, okay. So essentially, now they have a guy. They have two guys. Well, Del Zotto actually was in the lineup, but they're given a chance to kind of see the younger players. They're making room for a younger defenseman to come in, and they moved a seventh to a sixth round pick, and it's Vancouver sixth round. So they got a little bump up in there. You know, they're just moving things around. I think Del Zotto was there just as a movement to try and see if anything could have happened for a playoff push. Once I was out of the picture, Del Zotto was never going to be in the long-term picture for the Ducks anyways. No, and, and now the Ducks seem to be – I mean, they got everybody down paper transactions so that they can go compete in the playoffs for the goals. The goals looked at like they're going to make the playoffs no matter if they have Jones, Terry, Steele, Larson, Magna boiled down there for the, the stretch run here. They seem like they're going to make it anyway, and I don't think Murray and the coaching staff in San Diego are too worried about, I guess, where they finish in the standings just as long as they yeah. get into the playoffs. So and they get those be, guys back. Yeah, yeah Murray's going to get a long look right now at Jones, Terry, Steele is back up. Larson just came back up. Brandon Gooley, Kevin Boyle, he's going to get a long look at all these young guys. And then once the Duck season is over, they all get to get sent right back down and give a massive boost to the goals' playoff hopes. So, again, it's yeah. it's a win-win in that sense where Murray gets a good look at seeing what they can do in the NHL level at this point and then also sending them down to make the, the playoff run for, for San Diego. So, um, Which is all- also... Which I'm sorry, which is also good to see what they can do in a high pressure situation. So the Ducks, right. let's say all intents and purposes, they're not in the playoffs. Once the season ends, those guys go down. They play in the AHL playoffs. And it's a good, good little time for Bob Murray to go down there, get away from the Ducks, and then look and see what prospects he has, how they play in a playoff situation. It's all just more information, and at least him and the amateur scouting staff is really good at, at at figuring out talent, who can work where. And the Ducks do have a good farm system, so this is all kind of works out in the long run. It's just not happy times if you're waiting for the Ducks to do something um, you know, at the NHL level. No, no. And uh, let's get into Brendan Gooley and just give him a breakdown of what type of player he is. We briefly talked about it in the trade, but I think with him being the big name, coming back to the Ducks at the trade deadline, it's worth a look at what type of defenseman he is. So he's a 6'2", 196-pound defenseman, a little bit lanky, smaller guy, but he is only 21. Spent the majority of his junior career in the WHL 
and has been playing the most of his professional career with Rochester in the AHL, which is the Buffalo Sabres AHL affiliate. So this year, in 50 games, he had 27 points for Rochester and played two games for the Buffalo Sabres before spending, like I said, the majority of of his time down in the AHL. So it looks like, like we said, he's going to get an extended look with the Ducks in the final 19 games of the season, which is going to be great to see what he can do. And he, the, the book on him is he's just a, a tremendous skater. And, you know, something mm-hmm. you brought up to me a couple of days ago is uh, he ended up getting a spot in the AHL All-Star game to replace somebody else. And he set the sixth fastest time ever in the uh, AHL All-Star's uh, fastest skater competition. So he's got yeah. the speed. Uh, he seems to be a calm, collected, reliable defenseman at both ends uh, of the ice. And I think all in all, he's just going to be a guy that's going to be difficult to play against. And consistency, I think, is going to be the name of the game for him. He's going to be good at both ends of the ice. Maybe not great, but he's just going to be a reliable guy. Yeah, someone that they can hopefully plug in. And when we're not talking a, a, a D1, D2, you know, if if he starts to progress, the thing he's probably got to work on, yeah, 6'2", but if he can build up the 190 pounds uh, a little bit higher, bulk up, and kind of build into that frame just a little bit more, then he'll be uh, a much more of a force uh, and could easily kind of crack the the fourth defenseman, you know. So you're looking at a 5-6-D, hopefully, uh, in the upper echelon. He'll probably, on this team, be a fourth defenseman if he gets to that point. But he's got speed. Uh, he doesn't have the offensive upside as Montour, but he's also young enough that uh, he can learn all this stuff. So uh he he really impressed i think like three years ago in buffalo uh and where he almost made the lineup out of camp but uh didn't quite make it there he spent uh you know uh, a little bit of time uh back and forth through the sabers he only spent i think about three games this season with the sabers uh but he didn't have a really good preseason either with the sabers and that's where it kind of fell out of ways especially when they drafted darlene who really kind of just you know, bumped him down that depth chart. So it's a guy who could probably use a, a good start on a new team, especially one that wants to get faster and younger, two things that he possesses. Yeah. In the end, he's going to have a similar frame, I think, to either Hampus Lindholm or Cam Fowler. Yeah. I mean, they're all generally the same height. Lindholm's 6'2", Fowler's 6'1", uh, Lindholm's 207, Fowler's 216. So he's going to be somewhere, I think, in between both of those builds that you have with Lindholm and Fowler, which is nothing wrong. I think that fit, fits perfectly with what the, the Ducks are going to go in that direction. And just and the, the new NHL. Of- yeah, and the type of player I think he is is exactly what the Ducks need at this point. They they didn't need a, a puck rusher in the role of Brandon Montour. Where he was taking a lot of risks, and they weren't necessarily all paying off. I mean, the guy had 25 points this year, and I know everybody's having a down year on the Ducks, but if you're going to be taking those risks, you want that, that type of player to be up around the 30-40 point mark at this point and be top 20, top 15 and points for defensemen, and Brandon Montour just wasn't putting that up. So now you've got a different type of puck rusher in Brendan Gooley who's going to make the right decision. And even in the small sample size of one game we've seen from him so far, he made a <laughs> so couple tiny. puck. Yeah, it's small sample size, but you saw some good signs where you know he picked the right time to make that rush up the ice where he wouldn't get caught back and he would be able to have enough time to get back in his own zone. And just already in in his first game with the Ducks, his third game in the NHL this season, seeing him being able to make those decisions, that's a a very good sign for the future. So the Ducks, like I said, can go out and now find that puck rusher 
that offensive defenseman that they want and, and fit them into this lineup. They can do that in this year's draft, next year's draft, wherever, and eventually work that guy into the system. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, with, uh, with Montour, it kind of felt like it had Fowler 1.1. Kind of like he had a younger version of Fowler who was, you know, a quick skater. looked like he got some offensive upside, not so great on defense. And uh, at that point, I think they kind of just committed to Fowler. And if if Montour doesn't play well with Fowler, there's just no point keeping someone of that talent down there. We'll see where Ghoul uh, uh, ends up slotting in. But at the same time, they, they're, the biggest problem is they got to try and find someone to play with Cam Fowler on a consistent basis. Because if you do that... Then you got your top four, and then you can kind of move guys in and out in five and six spot. But uh, that's kind of the big thing. And Montour was just finally, nope, not worth the risk anymore. We're not going to replace Cam, so he's he's the odd man out. Yeah, I mean, they, they played Gooley with Fowler uh, for the second half of the game last night, and they looked pretty good. Uh, Larson's back up, and he has played the offside a couple times this year, so there's a chance maybe he goes with Fowler. There, there's a lot of options they can go. Uh, to, to sum up this Montour uh, the trade that happened. It is um, a little bit interesting now to see that I don't think I ever thought we'd be in this position where the Ducks would be without Brandon Montour and Shea Theodore. And it, it's just... Uh, and, and Votnin yeah, at one point, too. It's such, such a young so young offense, quick um, quick type defense that we thought was just you know, the, the envy of the league just building up to that. And uh, you know, Theodore... Never really got a chance. Vatnik got a little bit of a chance. Montour got some chance, but all of those guys are now gone. And I mean, I guess that's a little bit of an expansion draft thing as yeah. far as those choices go. I mean, Theodore well, was a calculated I mean, risk. Yeah. Giving Brandon, uh, Kevin BX to the no-move clause, then not asking him to waive it, and then also giving Stoner that contract that you had to get rid of it, and, and all of yeah. those things go into it. But then you make the choice to keep Brandon Montour over Shea Theodore, and you look what Shea Theodore is doing right now for, for the Vegas Golden Knights. And, and I, I don't think it was a bad decision at the time. I mean, Brandon no. Montour looked like he was going to be a very good player, and he was also a right-shot defenseman when you had Lindholm and Fowler on the left. So it made sense to do it. But now when you're without both of them, you you really got to hope that Brandon Gooley turns into something. But uh, yeah. let's, uh, let's that, move on yeah. to the, the next subject that we have here. And it comes at a weird time. There was a quote that the Ducks released from, from Bob Murray. I think it was at the end of the second period. Last night in uh, in the Canucks game, they put it out on their Twitter. But uh, Bob Murray had a small quote that he wanted to, to let the fans know. He said, we're moving forward, getting younger. It, the Montour trade, was just the first piece of what we're trying to do here. The pieces might not make sense at the moment, but they're going to fall into place as time goes by. We're going to change this team over a little bit. So I was, I guess kind of happy with with seeing something like that you know i was a little bit questionable of of his direction going forward with this team it's not the clearest of quotes but it does seem like <laughs> yeah. he he obviously want he knows his team is in a retool they, they want to get a little bit younger and i don't think he's done making moves and i think at the draft we'll see maybe not some some headliner moves but i think he's going to start trying to to move some of these guys out and and make this team a little bit younger there's Two things that everyone should know about Bob Murray. One is his wheelhouse is making trades at the draft. Uh, that's that's where he is comfortable. He's not necessarily under the guy. It's weird because, like in that one, you have like every every few minutes you you're under the gun to try and make a trade. 
uh, if you want to just and things change so rapidly and so quickly that you would think that's more high pressure than the trade deadline. But he hates doing trade deadlines. He hates rentals, I guess, is his biggest thing. So I never optimistic that he's going to make a big trade at trade deadline. Uh, the fact he traded Montour the day before trade deadline was was actually surprising to me. I mean, uh, but the Ducks have never really been in the seller position. So, you know, those things will, will kind of pop up every now and again. But the other thing you should know about Bob Murray is it seems like he doesn't know what the hell he's doing or he seems completely lost in his direction. And then all of a sudden, three moves later, you go, oh, oh, he's he's good. He's really good. And Bob Murray tends to do that a lot. And uh, it doesn't make sense. And you think, why would you trade a good guy for a minor leaguer, this prospect? And then he just turns that trade or that you know prospect or that draft pick into something. You're like, oh, we've needed that forever. That worked? Oh, sweet. All right, cool. So I, I, I'm always, you know, as much as I want to criticize what he does, they draft amazingly well. And, some, and obviously they're going to be, a little bit more aware of things that we'll never be aware of, uh, either in locker room, in scouting, in drafting, in pro scouting, uh, that we usually aren't really uh, ever going to know about. So when when he comes out and says, listen, I know it looks bad on the surface. Trust me, this will work out. I, I tend to believe him because he's just done it so many times, and it just never makes sense until – the equal signs happens, and then you go, oh, we have a good product. There you go. It looked like a whole bunch of bad, and now it's good. So I, I, I like that quote, too. It gives me actually an odd – even though it's cryptic, it's it's oddly reassuring. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. That's how I feel about it. And the good thing about waiting until the draft to do some of these bigger deals are, are generally you're going to get less panic buys. You're going to have better players available better hockey deals that are going to be able to to be put forth towards the players that you're looking to get rid of. Like that is generally when the best trades happen is in the mm-hmm. off season. When you go in and try and make things happen at the expansion draft, you get a lot of desperate teams that are watching what other teams are doing, trying to keep up with that. Being a seller at the trade deadline can be good because you look at what uh, Vegas ended up having to pay for Thomas Tatar. So Detroit got a ton for Tatar because Vegas was desperate, but uh. When when you're looking at it, you know you're going to get fairer deals generally in the off season. So I'm not too worried about it. I'm I'm kind of happy he's he's holding off on. We don't know what the trades are, but maybe moving Henrik or Fowler or whoever, if he's going to try and make those deals or wants to make those deals, waiting to the off season is the best time to do it. And you know there's a chance you do. You still have time to pick up other picks too if you want to try and get some more picks in this first round, which is, is supposed to be a pretty good first round this year. Or if you're comfortable with the the high pick that you're going to get and the pick between 20 and 31, the Ducks haven't had two first round picks in my memory for for a while. I think it was a couple of years at least. So yeah. having that option and w- with the Ducks scouting staff uh, is going to be pretty good. So they're they're going to have their work cut out for them though because they haven't had a top pick in a while, and the last one they had was Nick Ritchie. So they they have some pressure. I mean, they're 50 50 on their top picks over the last few years where they had Hamish Lindholm at six and then Nick Ritchie at ten. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. likely uh, o- or going for another top five pick this year, and uh, yeah. hopefully it works out. It looks like it will. It always does. It always does look like it will work out because there's always hype around all these players in the top part of the draft. But uh, I have faith that the Ducks scouting staff will be able to get it done and that Bob Murray will, will be good on his word and uh, make some more changes in the offseason. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always more optimistic because it's like Bob Murray's 
that he's he's good with and his scouts. I'm going to throw you know the praise out all over the place there. Uh, but Bob Murray also has um, experience in scouting. He did that back when he was working with Chicago. Uh, so they're good at scouting young talent, and they're fairly good at their trades. I wouldn't say they're you know out of the park like they are with their drafting, but they're not bad. I think they're slightly you know above average. And when he says we've got a plan that doesn't look like it makes sense now, uh, and wait till I get into my wheelhouse where I'm comfortable and I make the good moves. This is this is where I'm comfortable. This is where I'm going to do uh, all the right things at the right time versus being you know cornered into something maybe that doesn't make sense for the organization moving forward. So I'm more comfortable him getting around there. He's never going to be a trade deadline guy, but when the draft comes around, generally it makes more sense. Now, if his, his plan is to not make trades at the trade deadline and, uh, you know, just use those draft picks, you know, accordingly to kind of revamp it, I'm still okay with it because in my opinion, he can, he can kind of figure it out. The only thing he can't figure out is his head coachings. (laughs) <laughs> his his picks are uh, less uh, or his decisions are a little bit less than um, desirable, I guess. Yeah, is a nice word to put it. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully this summer isn't going to be that. Because, <laughs> hopefully, it's an easy decision for him. Let's put it that way. No, exactly. And um, <coughs> so with with uh, some of the news that came out today is that Sam Steele is back up from San Diego, and so is Jacob Larson. So you look at the lineup the way it was constituted the last game. It was Sprong, Raquel Perry up front, Henry, Terry Jones on the second line, Grant Shore, Silverberg on the third, and Kessler, Richie, and Rowney on the fourth. So presumably, Steele coming back in, you would assume that, unfortunately, Daniel Sprong, again, based off the scratches that he's had recently, is probably the guy that checks out. Didn't have a bad game against Vancouver, but... I don't think anybody else is coming out of the lineup at this point. You're not going to sit the kids. And uh, I don't see them healthy scratching Grant or Shore or Rowney at this point. So Sprung probably comes out. But you you get put with a dilemma there. I think Steele coming up means they don't think Ryan Getzlaff is going to be ready in the next few games. Because, uh, as I said, you're not going to scratch any of the kids. So if Getzlaff was ready, you probably wouldn't bring up Sam Steele at this point just for one of them to ride the bench. So it looks like... Steele would be taking the place of Daniel Sprong. And do we see a kid line in Jones, Steele, and Terry at, at all? I mean, center depth now, that this allows Raquel to go to the wing. So that presumably could mean that Henry jumps up to the top line and we do see Steele with Jones and Terry. Uh, it's definitely not out of the realm of possibilities, uh, for sure. Uh, you know, to touch on Getzloff a little bit, um, a few uh, um, before a few games ago, he he had uh, a stiffness in his lower back that prevented him from doing a couple of practices. I think it was before they even played the first game under uh, uh, Bob Murray, yeah. and uh, you know he was able to kind of play a few games. Then uh, afterwards, didn't look bad. Like I said, I thought the whole team started to produce a lot more and look a lot better. He was even doing dangles, and the dude never dangles. He just either passes or he holds on to it forever before he makes a pass. Uh, so, you know, he was looking good, but I mean, if it's a bad thing, it seems like it's day to day. He's not on IR. So unless they want to do a retroactive thing, it just seems like a nagging thing that's not going away. And, uh, back injuries can do that. They can just be where you think you're good. And then the next day you have a little bit of a setback and it's really hard to kind of pick out where it's going to work. So at this time, why not throw out a kid line? I mean, these are the kids that you're, you're expecting are going to start cracking the lineup here next season. Um, you know, depending on what room is available. So 
it doesn't, you know, make, uh, you know, the, you know, it's not the worst idea in the world to give them a, a kid's line and see what those those guys can actually do. And uh, having Henrique as a center and let Raquel be the wing, because quite honestly, Raquel, the two games he ended up playing uh, at center never really worked out. And uh, I think it's a, a little bit awkward for him to have to try and do that. And I'd rather just you know, change it up, see see what happens. You can't do any worse than a 4 nothing loss to Vancouver unless it's 5 nothing to Ottawa. But I don't think we're playing them soon, so... Yeah, I mean, right now, if Sam Steele jumps in with Raquel or Perry, that would be great. Or if he jumps in with Jones or Terry, that would also be great. I think if you put him on either of those two lines, you can't go wrong. And, and honestly, I would be disappointed to see him on either because with Raquel and Perry, he probably gets the best opportunity to succeed. And with Jones and Terry, he gets some familiarity from what he's been playing with in San Diego. So I, I think either could work. The interesting one for me is, is Jacob Larson because yeah. – I would assume that Cabrini and Holzer or Jacob Magna jump Magna, out of the lineup. Yeah. And uh, Larson has played on the left and the right this year. And we even saw Gouley, at, who at one point was playing with Fowler on the right, and Magna started the game on the right. So there's a lot of mm-hmm. options for the Ducks on what they want to do. I would assume if they're calling up Jakob Larson that he's going to play. And at this point, I'm, I'm completely happy with the call because I, I really did want to see him get another shot, especially with Brandon Montour going out. It is nice to see him get another shot and another chance to impress. So, you know, my ideal pairing would be Holzer to check back out and have the Ducks with Gouley, Magda, uh, Larson, Fowler, Manson, and Lindholm and, and see what pairings they can get out of that. Yeah, I'd agree. I think uh, Magna's had a little bit of a difficult time uh, you know, when they got put up. Well, A, when he was with Montour, uh, you know, poor guy. It's his deflection that leads to goal one. His good defense of a two-on-one that uh, Montour kind of left him for, which unfortunately goes right back to the guy who passed it, and they score the game-winning goal in Calgary. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, whatever that lineup was in Vancouver, it didn't work. So you're going to have to try and make some some movement around. And if, if Fowler is not looking anywhere near what he had been leading up to that game, you maybe got to try and find now that Delzato's gone something else that might work. It doesn't look like Magna's necessarily going to work up there. Larson gives them a little bit more of uh, a chance. Magna, I think, is still valuable in his size, but at a third line role, not a top line or second line with Fowler. I think you got to protect him a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see what Larson can do. Um, I guess. You know, if he's kind of the same uh, skill set as Delzato, but it's also good to give him a chance too, just in the new, uh, the new uh, system, uh, because the, no one was going to work, especially a young defenseman trying to crack the lineup under Carlisle's system. So I'm always, and whoever comes in who is used to the old way comes in. I, I can't wait to see what they can do. Go like, aha, I was right. Carlisle sucks. <laughs> well, <laughs> we've got one more thing to cover. Uh-huh. Uh, before we get into the uh, look ahead of the games coming up this week, uh, before, actually, before I get on that, I want a, a live update of how the former Ducks are doing right now because we're recording this on uh, Tuesday night, and Brian Gibbons has a, an assist in his first game for the Ottawa Senators, <laughs> an assist to their other new addition, Oscar Lindbergh, and Brandon Montour's game against the Flyers just started. He's played 47 seconds, and the Flyers are are the Sabers are already down one to nothing. So. Uh, <laughs> a, quick, a quick update on how they're doing. But the last thing I wanted to get into and cover was the play of uh, Maxim Comtois lately. Uh, there's a lot of people who are, are ready to put him in as the, the Ducks' best prospect right now. And I think there, there's a lot of reason for that because of the way he's been playing, not just recently, but all season. But over the last seven games, he has 
15 goals and 8 assists. He's producing at a 2 points per game, actually over a 2 points per game pace Jesus. right now in uh, the QMJHL with Drummondville. And over those last 7 games, he has 3 hat-tricks. So, I mean, this guy, the way he's playing right now, especially with Drummondville, is unbelievable. He's been good ever since coming back from injury. He was good when he was up here in Anaheim. He was good when he was in San Diego. Uh, when you're producing at every level, that's a good sign for what you're going to do. So I, I understand the hype on, on getting this guy next year, but this is just an impressive run from him right now. Yeah, maybe he's just you know a hat enthusiast, and yeah. he just wants to see all the different types of hats that people wear, and then you know uh, organize <laughs> them accordingly in his room. I don't know, but yeah, no, I mean you can't uh, shy away from that. I mean, obviously he showed signs of being great. He's had some injuries here and there, but he played in the World Juniors for Canada. How'd that go, Ed? And uh, well, then... he played good. <laughs> Canada itself didn't, they went that great. So, uh, you know, it's great to see, you know, it's one of those guys that will almost, almost definitely crack the lineup next year. I I can't really see a reason other than injury or a really horrible showing, but uh, he's done enough this year that it gets Ducks fans a little excited that uh, this is kind of the future kind of moving forward. Uh, He's going to be in there. You're going to see him with uh, hopefully – not necessarily on the same line, but getting on the docks with uh, Terry and Jones in a more um, stable or um, consecutive basis. So, uh, you know, good for him. Keep it going. That's what it's there for. And uh, we'll just kind of see if it translates because I, I've known a lot of guys that are good in those minor leagues and uh, the AHL. It just doesn't quite transfer to the NHL. But uh, the new NHL is speed and goal scoring and creativeness, and he possesses all of those qualities. No, I, I know it would be difficult to keep up uh, keep up a pace like this over an entire mm-hmm. season. But if he did... What's his shooting percentage? His shooting percentage right now is 27.9%. Yeah. Now, to put that in perspective, <laughs> last year, over 54 games, he shot at 23.8%. And his career shooting percentage is 19.3%. So it is high. It is high for him. But if he kept up this performance over the entire season, his goal pace in a 68-game season, which is what the, the length of the QMJHL season is, he would be putting up 86 goals <laughs> over 68 <laughs> games. Now, I again, that, that's, that's very hard to I, just, one, play an entire 68-game season without injury, which is something he's never done. And also to put up that that ridiculous pace over the entire season, but that's just you know a look at the type of season he's having with Drummondville, and you know there is a shot that that they will make a long playoff run. But if he doesn't, if the goals end up going on a long playoff run, he I believe has the ability to join them and make that lineup even more, more potent. When you look at the fact that they're going to add Steele and Terry and Jones and Larson, Gooley among others, and he could be a guy. That also makes that run because Antoine Moran won't because Halifax is hosting the Memorial Cup, so he's going to be going to that anyway. But if Maxime Comtois doesn't make it to uh, the Memorial Cup, there's a he's chance eligible to, to to go what to to San Diego. Yeah, Max Jones did the same play. thing. Yeah, Max Jones did the same thing uh, at the end of his junior year, where uh, his when London got eliminated from the playoffs, he played uh, a few games for San Diego in the playoffs. Now, I don't know if that's exactly the same for for Comtois this year because he did spend some time in the NHL and the AHL, so there might be mm. different rules around that. But if it's the same, then he'll be able to get some time with San Diego if everything aligns. Like if Drummondville ends up getting eliminated <laughs> from the playoffs. 
But yeah. we wanted to just get him an update on that because he's having just a ridiculous run. I believe a couple weeks ago he was CHL Player of the Week, and he seems to be on his way to hit that again. So just a, a ridiculous run from Maxim Comtois, and yeah. we hope that we get to see him either, if not at some point this season, definitely uh, back on the Ducks roster at the beginning of next year. Yeah, How many goals does he have right now? 24 in 19 games. Oh, he's got way more hats than that now. Yeah, he's got four hat tricks on the season. So. <laughs> there you go. He's got. He's got he absolutely has more hats. <laughs> exactly. So let's finish this off by looking at the the next three games the Ducks have and the rest of this week. And you know, we'll we'll. I know this is out on Tuesday, and the last one was out on Tuesday, but we had to cover Scotty's retirement last week and the trade deadline this week. So next week's episode will be out on Monday. So we've got yep. Chicago on Wednesday, Vegas on Friday with Mark Stone newly acquired to their team, and the Colorado Avalanche on Sunday. So. All three of these are at home for the Ducks, which is an advantage. But how how does this week look for you? How do you think it's going to go? Probably not too well. I mean, uh, of all things, even Chicago is actually playing decent. Um, I mean, the Patrick Kane's doing uh, almost above what I would have expected him to do in a season like this. Uh, but they also got uh, some some nice young guys that we kind of uh, covered a little bit in one of our other podcasts. Uh, who was the guy you you said it was? There's the Brinkat and oh, the other guy? That's it. So, yeah. So, I mean, these guys, they, they're putting up goals now. They seem to be scoring. Um, short of Ryan Miller finally getting back in there. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Boyle didn't have a very good showing. Uh, we had Angus Redman as the backup. Um, so, that doesn't bode too well against uh, lethal scores uh, on that Chicago team that you know, is already ahead of the Ducks. Uh, but in addition to that, this team's kind of feeling out, especially with younger players, and it's more of a run and gun, I think, type. Just you know, either kids won't want to make mistakes, or they they kind of go a little bit overboard. You're going to start seeing more and more mistakes, unfortunately, for the Ducks, which is kind of good for draft pick, not so good for the current NHL season. Oddly enough, I still think somehow they win against Chicago, but in my opinion, Vegas and Colorado, those are two teams trying really, really hard to make a push. Uh, Vegas will have um, Stone there now. I think a couple games by the time they play us. We don't play well against Vegas. They're quicker style. I like our new style, but uh, this is going to be a, a tough game against them on Friday. And then Colorado, they made a lot of moves too. They, they want to make the playoffs. They need to make the playoffs, and they're, they're doing a good job of trying to get back into the playoffs, especially since – Minnesota pretty much sold the farm, and they're holding the last wild card spot. And Colorado is the team right behind them, trying to get back into it. So um, I, I don't think there's going to be a fun, fun week, but I think we can at least get one win. <laughs> I think we get Chicago. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully, I mean, if Chicago, right. Chicago would be the team if you're like your team is struggling to score goals this year. Chicago is the team you would normally want to face. They're last yeah. in goals against average. They have the worst PK in the league. Uh, but the problem was for them, goaltending most of the year. Mm -hmm. Corey Crawford's only played 23 games this year, and they had Cam Ward, who's played 29, who's got a sub-900 save percentage and a 3.71 goals against average, somehow with a winning record. Yeah. You. That's just because the Chicago Blackhawks are the seventh, seventh best offense in the league. Mm -hmm. And then they also had Colin Delia, who had a 909 save percentage and a 348 goals against average and this is his first full professional season he only played two games for the Blackhawks last year so <clears throat> normally it would be a good matchup the problem is Corey Crawford is back for the Chicago Blackhawks his first game will likely be tomorrow against the Ducks 
And this has been his first game uh, since December he kills, 16th. He, he kills the Ducks, too. Yeah. He's so, so good against them. And he hasn't had a great year. He's 6-14-2 record, 9-0-2 save percentage, but he's been dealing with injuries. So if he's really 100% healthy, it's going to be a problem for the Ducks because the, the role that Patrick Kane is on is ridiculous. I think his point streak finally came to an end against <laughs> Dallas, but he's having a career year at 30 years old. He's at 93 <laughs> points in 62 games. His career high was 106 which he is on pace to pass. And his career high in goals is 46, which he's already at 39 with 20 games to go. I mean, the the role that this guy is on in a bad season for Chicago uh, is insane. Dylan Strom is almost a point per game since coming over. As we mentioned, Alex Debrinkit is a 34-goal scorer this year. And Jonathan Taves is having a very good year where he's over yes. a point per game. So the yeah. Blackhawks' offense is deadly. And when you're looking at a team, normally you'd be fun to play against if you can't score goals. Well, now you run into Corey Crawford. So... That's going to be mm-hmm. a tough one. Vegas is going to be the toughest of the week with Mark mm-hmm. Stone entering that team. I'm I'm interested to see how they do with Mark Stone. Obviously, I don't want that type of matchup against the Ducks. It's going to be a really oh. tough one. And then Colorado is always a tough matchup because you have to shut down Landis Cog, McKinnon, and Rontanen. So that's going to be a tough task, whether it's Ryan Kessler or Adam Henrique or Derek Grant who has to, to shut them down. Uh, that will be a, a tough matchup. And there's a possibility we, we don't see Ryan Getzlaff for either a couple of these or all of them, which will make it even harder mm-hmm. for the Ducks to get some wins. So I hope they can scrape one out. Uh, I, the way they've been playing gives me a little bit of hope that Chicago will be hopefully the easier matchup of the week for them, where maybe they can just either get a point or get a win. Uh, but it, it doesn't look good when you look at the fact that <laughs> Colorado is fighting for a playoff spot. Vegas is essentially fighting for a playoff spot because they're only two card, two points out of the wild card, so they're really going to be going. And Chicago isn't that far out of the playoffs. They're five points out of a playoff spot, so they're going to be yeah. pushing to try and, and, and salvage what's been a disappointing season for them. So it, it, it will be interesting to see next week when we get into to the, ne- the next episode of this podcast what happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like I said, especially with, uh, you know, <laughs> get, you know your, your top goalie gives an out. Although he is skating again, so there's there's some hope eventually he starts kind of coming around. Uh, and we didn't really talk about this too much. He's been out for a while with what we talked about uh, being a uh, uh, concussion, or at least it seems that way. And then from what they said in the Vancouver broadcast uh, was that uh, they, they couldn't quite figure out why he still had headaches. It didn't quite seem like the concussion problems he was having were really necessarily causing that anymore. So they, they didn't really have a reason. So they he have four uh, wisdom teeth, impacted teeth. So they pulled that out, and apparently things have gotten better. So he's out skating a little bit, but it's still maybe a little bit of time before we see him. And if he's not there, Chad Johnson's still not quite there. Ryan Bell's not even 100%. So. He's not 100%. He wasn't even back up in the last game, which tells me a whole lot. Uh, you know, uh, with his recovering knee thing, and they tweaked it a little bit, and uh, Calgary hasn't played since. Um so it'll be interesting if Boyle's in there again or Angus uh, Redmond's in there. Uh, the Ducks have very little chance of keeping the puck out of the net, even if their defensive play has gotten better. That's a little tall order to ask your fourth and fifth string goalie. We're not Vegas here. We can't pull on our fourth and fifth string goalies and just go on a eight-game winning streak. So, <laughs> Well, Redmond did get sent down today, so hopefully okay, so that means Miller, Miller can go. Miller if Johnson. not, he's going to be the backup, and it's going to be Boyle 
who is the guy that goes. I would assume it's going to be Boyle who goes against Chicago tomorrow. But that will wrap up the show this week. If you want to keep up with us, with me, Jason, and Pat throughout the week, make sure you check out our post-game show, uh, Forever Mighty. You can find us on Twitter at Forever Mighty FM. So that's what we'll be during the week. If not, we'll catch you next week on here at Pucks or Feather. And make sure you go to PucksOrFeather.com and check out all the great articles that we're going to be putting out for the entire week. Especially Ed's. Yeah. Yeah, my, my articles uh, start and stop at the podcast articles right now because of how much time I have. So if you want to go check out my old article on Camp Fowler, you can go do that. That's that's somewhere in the archives. Nah, that sounds boring. Yeah, it, it, it is. A <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll check you out next week. Bye, guys.